0: Please can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 124. Psalm 124, we are going through the Psalms over this summer period, uh, which I'm enjoying. It's great to spend some time, uh, as it were, reading and listening to these songs, which are so expressive of particularly King David's experience of God and God's faithfulness, and And this is a wonderful psalm. This is slightly different from the ones which we've looked at already. So I'm reading from the CSB, and we're looking at Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Blessed be the Lord, who's not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, our hero, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death, for his resurrection. We thank you that he is our friend and our helper. We thank you that you're not a far-off, distant God, but you've come close, you've, you've inhabited us, you dwell among us. We know you, we do life with you, and you're with us today. And we lay before you our lives, we lay before you our hopes and our ambitions, and we just ask you, Lord, Holy Spirit, please would you help us today to, to draw closer to you and to have a fuller revelation of who you are and your plans in our lives and your purposes in this earth to glorify your son, Father. Thank you for calling us to be your people and thank you for saving us from death and placing us into everlasting life. Help us today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of this message is God Delivers. One of the great things about going through a passage of Scripture as we're doing together is, especially as you're going in sequence, as we're going through these Psalms of Ascent, is that you are dealing with different kinds of of teaching and encountering different themes. We started off by looking at Psalm 121, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? It's a lovely psalm which we're able to interact with very easily without too much difficulty in terms of understanding maybe what's being described. This psalm, however, that we've just heard read out is perhaps a little odd in terms of there's hypothetical questions, a hypothetical sense of what David is describing. He starts by saying, if... The Lord had not been on our side. If the Lord had not been on our side. So I want us to start by thinking about this hypothetical if that David, who's written this psalm, has put before us. Now, King David, as you know, would, if you know your Bible at all, is a very colourful character. His life is full of drama. David, I mean, to have a drink with David would be fascinating to say to him, David, tell me of certain things which have happened in your life that stand out. He could go right back to his early years as a teenager in the fields looking after the sheep, and he could tell you about how lions ran towards him and how he killed lions with his slingshot. Lions and, and wolves. He could tell you about how he stood in front of Goliath, the giant, who towered over him and over everybody else, this great warrior of the Philistines, how he fought Goliath and defeated him. He could tell you about how he led the Israelites into battle and saw great victories. He could tell you how he spent that time in a cave as King Saul was trying to kill him. He could tell you about some of his great sins. How King David, despite being a man after God's own heart, also was an adulterer and was a murderer. I think it's fair to say that David was a pretty colorful character. But one thing that's undeniable about this king was that he loved his God and that he lived his life for his God. And even when he made horrific mistakes, he knew the kindness and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and was able to pick himself up and keep trusting in his God. So he's a great example to us. And he, in this psalm, puts before us this hypothetical if he wants the israelites to take a moment just to think about what might their lives be like if it weren't for the fact that god is for them he says if the lord had not been on our side if the lord had not been on our side when the people attacked us we would have been crushed As the torrent came, we would have been swept away. We would have been drowned. He would have them think upon, if you like, the worst case scenario if it wasn't for the fact that the Lord was with them and that the Lord provided for them, that the Lord cared for them. Of course, he'd seen many armies rise up against God's people and tried to destroy them and time and time again he'd seen how God came through and led them into victory. But the language that's being used here is very reminiscent of other famous stories in the Bible. So where it says, says this, the water would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging water would have swept over us, we're thinking of some catastrophic event involving a flooding, involving a great water sweeping over people. Makes us think of Noah, doesn't it? Noah's ark. When God said to Noah, you're to build a great ark and it's going to result in the salvation of you and your family. How Noah warned those around and said there was going to be a great deluge and a great flood and how they laughed and mocked Noah, but truly the flood came and Noah and his family were saved through the waters as they were in the ark that God instructed them to build. Everyone else gets decimated and wiped out. We think of the Israelites as Moses led them from Egypt, how two million of them Stacked up as it were on the beach before the Red Sea, as the Egyptians uh, marched steadily on the horses towards them with sword in hand, intent on destroying them. How God parted the ocean, and how the Israelites crossed through. And they turned back to find the oceans then falling upon their enemy it brings up and i think david intended to bring up those kinds of images and that kind of scene the flood waters the deluge this horrific picture of 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 people drowning under this deluge it's a picture of god's judgment and it truly was a judgment of god against wickedness and against evil, the wickedness of Noah's generation, the wickedness of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and how a good, just, right God can't tolerate evil and injustice and wrong. And so judgment came And so the question is, if God wasn't for us, everybody, we would have suffered too. But yet we have God on our side. God is for us. God does provide for us. He does make a way, whether it's through an ark or whether it's through the ocean itself. He won't have us be judged and be condemned because he's for us. This hypothetical if is one I think you and I should consider and ponder that we as christians should take time occasionally maybe more than occasionally to think about what might come of us if god wasn't for us what are the uh, the torrents the raging waters what are the teeth that might grab onto us what is the judgment if you like of god that we have escaped Do you as a Christian ever think about what might come of you if it wasn't for the fact that God is for you, is merciful towards you? I want to read some verses. I want to read from Jesus. This is what Jesus said. And Jesus spoke about the coming judgment more than anybody else. Mark 9, verses 44 to 48. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Matthew 13, verses 40 to 42. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels And they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly I will tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. These are obviously sobering words for us to hear Jesus speak. I mean, let's not forget who Jesus is this one full of compassion, full of mercy, this one who had a reputation for loving a party because he was often found in the company of tax collectors. And sinners we know he, he he made his the wedding the scene of his first sign it, let's not forget who's speaking these words this is the one that went to the leper the one who touched the leper the one who the adulterer was brought before and found he cared for her and loved her and empowered her that he was also the one that could not stand the hypocrisy of the pharisees and the religious authorities. He was the one that spoke to them, who thought that they were all fine living in their religious paraphernalia and pretense. And he called them out, called them whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they stink. And he challenged them, and he warned them, and he warned the crowd He warned them from His compassion and His mercy and His care and His love. Warned them of what was coming in the future. Warned them of a judgment to come. Warned them of an eternal fire of hell. Using this graphic imagery to describe this utter misery misery and dereliction. This total absence of God and so consequently this total absence of love and uh, and what is good he describes how to warn those before him and for you and I the hypothetical if if it weren't for the fact that God is for us if it weren't for the fact that God's reached down to save us, if it weren't for the fact that God loves us and has compassion towards us, if it wasn't for the fact that God looks upon Tim Blaber and despite all that I've done, he sees me as one he wants to save. If it weren't for that, then what would I deserve but the hell that Jesus here describes? The crushing in of the torrent, the great waters of judgment, as it were, crashing in upon me. I wonder if you believe Jesus' words and if you believe Jesus' warnings. The people in Noah's day didn't believe that such a flood would ever happen. The Pharaoh didn't believe Moses when he spoke about God's judgment coming. Adam and Eve didn't believe God in the garden when he said to them, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Because what came next was a deceitful lie when the serpent, the evil one, came to them and said to them, you will not surely die. And they believed the lie they believed the lie that god's judgment of sin wouldn't happen and tragedy of course followed if we as christians are not telling the full gospel if we as christians are not listening and taking seriously the warnings of jesus christ the one that we love and if we're not also sharing with the world, this same warning, then we are not loving as I believe God would have us love. Or we're believing the lie that death won't come, that judgment won't come, that somehow everything will be okay. No, Jesus was very stark with his language and we need to listen to him. The hypothetical if. If it wasn't for the fact that God intervened. Oh, I can't begin to imagine the horrors of an eternity of misery. Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But in the hypothetical if, if God is not for me, then, then there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ. And then in the same chapter, Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? But if God is not for us, then God is against us. We must take very seriously these words and recognize that the seriousness of sin is seen in the crucifixion. And a Christian who denies that there is a coming judgment of God, how do you make sense of the cross? I mean, how do you make sense... Of Jesus hung, naked, suffering, bleeding, dying before his mum, before the vast crowds who are mocking him, laughing at him, ridiculing him. The creator of the universe hanging in that agony. How do you make sense of that? If there is no judgment and there is no death, if the whole thing is just swept away under the carpet, if there's no reckoning for evil, well, where would you go to find comfort? when you've been wronged, if God doesn't bring sinners to a place of accountability for what they've done. We can't deny the word of God. We mustn't. Especially in this day and age which would have us deny the word of God. Especially in this day and age where like in Noah's generation, people will laugh will laugh and, and mock us for believing in these things. And fear, I suppose, of man and fear of mockery and wanting to blend in has meant that many preachers have stopped talking about these things. And I, I admit, I don't talk about this enough. We must, we must recognize the seriousness of the hour in which we live and be moved by the same compassion that moved Jesus to speak these words to the crowd. The hypothetical if. However, it is for us Christians, it's a hypothetical if. We will never face judgment for the sins of our lives. We will never face God's judgment, his righteous, which is his perfect judgment. We'll never face it. We have been set free. Let's think about this certain freedom. I I love the image that we get here in verses six and seven blessed be the lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth we've escaped like a bird from the hunter's net the net is torn and we have escaped that first image blessed be the lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth it's a picture if you like of a gazelle in the 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 jaws of a lion And you've seen those David Attenborough documentaries where where the lion grabs the gazelle or the wildebeest or whatever it is. And you're kind of watching it and you're hoping that this thing will get away. And every now and then you see one of those miraculous escapes and this thing's kind of leaping off. And you think, oh, well done, he got away. That's the kind of picture which we're being given here. And the other one is that this bird trapped in a net, trapped in this net, powerless to escape, and then suddenly gets its freedom, and flies off. In the gospel, we are told how it is that we get rescued from the teeth of the lion. How it is the net gets ripped so that we might fly away. What is the net? You might ask. In a word, it's sin. But one of the problems with that word is so often we think of sin purely in terms of deeds, that, that sin is all the naughty things that I really like to do, but I really shouldn't do. It's eating chocolate, it's sex, it's drinking wine, it's, it's all the naughty things. And the reason why so often those in society think that's what Christians mean when we talk about sin is because of just poor teaching about it, um, a kind of Victorian moralism that cared far more about deed than it did about heart. But as you read about sin in the Bible, you find the emphasis is upon this power, this power over the world, this domain of darkness, which has got us trapped like a net over us that we can't escape from. It's holding us down. A great theologian, Fleming Rutledge, who's written a a fantastic book on the crucifixion, says this, Sin in Paul, that is in the writings of the Apostle Paul, sin in Paul is not something that one commits. It is a power by which one is held helplessly in thrall. It's a power. It's a gazelle in the jaws of the lion. It's a bird caught in a net. How does one so fragile escape? How do we escape the depression? How do we escape the addiction? How do I get out of this hole I found myself in? Do you relate to that at all? Do you relate to a sense of helplessness to escape from the misery or the darkness or the power that's over you? Because the Bible says that's what sin is like. You're helpless to do anything about it. You need the net to be ripped open. Blessed be God, that's what He's done we have, finally, we have a mighty helper. Verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the good news for you today. It's the good news for me. It's the reason why we exist as a church is to let the world know that the maker of heaven and earth is also our help. He's also the one that has come down and ripped the net, the power of sin over us. He's he's dealt with it to release us, to set us free. How do we escape this coming judgment? How do we escape this tidal wave of judgment that's building on the horizon? How can I have peace right now, that I'm safe, that I'm free? Romans 10, verse 9 says this If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus. Call on his name. Call on his name and you will be saved. Believe in your heart. Bring your life before God. Invite Him in. Ask Him for help. Stop trying to get out in your own strength. You can't. You need the net to be ripped open. You need God to come and save you. He loves to do this. And so I want to finish with a brilliant true story of how one guy found himself saved from the teeth of the lion, right at the very end of his life. This is Luke chapter 23, verses 32 onwards. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, Because they do not know what they are doing. They divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was written above him, This is the king of the Jews. Then... One of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment. We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me called on the name he called on the name of the lord then he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and he said to him truly i tell you today you will be with me in paradise if you like that's a picture of the bird released in the final moments from the net that was over him The gazelle running from the lion right at the very last moment. He enters into paradise with Jesus. He called on his name and he received his salvation. Hallelujah for this victory of Jesus Christ. He sets us free from judgment because he was judged in our place. We don't have to face hell because he faced hell for us. At the cross, Jesus suffered your hell so that you might enjoy his heaven. He is the God who delivers us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he has defeated for all time death, hell, Satan, and sin. We thank you that he, in his suffering, overcame all the evil in this world that we might be set free to enjoy you forevermore. I pray wherever we are today, let us know the freedom that there is in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us know the love that there is in God. I pray help us today to enjoy this freedom, to call upon your name and to know that we are loved. Thank you for doing that for us so that we will never have to taste the judgment of God. No, taste and see that the Lord is good. We love you and we thank you. Amen.